Welcome back to Towards a Smarter World. This is your host, Bruce Saunders. And today I'm joined by Doug Powell. He's an award-winning designer and design leader with more than 30 years working with enterprise design teams. In the past decade, Doug has served as Vice President of Design at IBM and the Expedia Group. He's a sought-after guest lecturer and has been president of the AIGA, the largest and most established design organization in the world. It's a privilege to speak with Doug today on Towards a Smarter World. Welcome, Doug. Hey, Cruz. Uh, great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for speaking with us about content design and how all of these things work within a larger enterprise, especially as that enterprise is working to create coherence across different groups, ways of working together uh, with design, with content, uh, with systems of creative production that all end up producing something that our customers, the end customers, can find useful and, and motivating and ultimately drive business value for, for them and for the, for the enterprise. You've been building these kinds of systems for years. And I wonder if we could just start with your perspective as an enterprise executive that's been working to unify teams that coordinate the people that share design process systems and approaches. What is your big picture view on the role of a unified design system uh, and unified design services function? And why is that important? Well, I mean, there's two, there's two aspects of it. There is the, the design practice and call it program within an enterprise. So that is the, the designers themselves. These are the, you know, the formally trained practicing designers who are doing the design stuff in, a, in an enterprise. And then there's the, the broader sort of application of call it what you will, design thinking, human-centered design, collaborative design, co-creation that is taking the kind of the, the secret sauce of those designers and infusing the rest of the organization with that way of working. And really what that, even though there are aspects of quote unquote design to that secret sauce, it's really about exactly what you were just saying. It's really about getting those cross-functional teams across the enterprise working better with each other. And there's a variety of ways that that happens. It, a lot of it is behavioral. A lot of it is, as we said a moment ago, a lot of it is about the language that we're using. A lot of it is, you know, certain activities and artifacts that are generated and co-created uh, by these cross-functional teams. You know, ultimately, it, you know, you put it in the air quotes of design or design thinking, but it's really just about getting these teams to work better together <laughs> and, and et cetera. There's, there's lots of ways that we do that. What is the role of a services organization between the poles of call it governance and call it orchestration and call it shared services? I don't know that, that that's one single continuum, but there's there's sort of a there's sort of a function of needing to do things in a consistent way that sometimes organizations call governance, mm -hmm. um, you know, or a need to reduce regulatory uh, risk or or whatever it is. There's a process of centralization, and then there's this process of sort of empowering the decentralized functions. Mm -hmm. Could you reflect a little bit on that continuum and 
and where you've kind of found the most the sweet spots are? I I mean there are all sorts of aspects of the call it change management of taking a, an enterprise through this process and and yes governance is is part of it. I mean for instance at IBM big huge huge organization huge enterprise um, very complex and part of what we were doing there was scaling a design thinking practice across across the company. We ended up training over half the company, a couple hundred thousand people in sort of the basics of, de of design thinking. And important to that, to your, to your point about governance, was, was placing some sort of certification infrastructure around the change management. That was important because it allowed us to know who the people are that have been trained in this practice, at what level of sort of depth of practice, depth of understanding, uh, have they been trained? Most of those 200,000 200, plus people who were trained were trained in a very lightweight way, a couple hours of online video training. Um, but that was important stuff, you know, that they, that they picked up in those two hours. So that was important for us to know, okay, where are these people? What teams are properly sort of have the proper balance uh, the ideal balance of these skills, practices, you know, certificate by way of certification, what teams don't. And then as we go to those executives who are leading those parts of the organization, we can say to them, all right, you're, you're in good shape. You've got the right balance here. We can very clearly lay that out to them. You've got the right people and the right teams knowing the right stuff about this way of working. Executive B over here, hey, you're kind of, you know, you've got some gaps and here are the teams where you're falling behind. And this is, these are the consequences to that. We know that these teams are now moving, you know, in a less agile way. Uh, they're not uh, focusing on the user, the customer in the way that we need them to. And that is a risk to the success of the business. So we can get into a really compelling conversation with that leader based on the data that we have around how we've structured the program. To what extent do you believe the organization you're creating should exert, you know, authoritative function versus facilitative function or otherwise, right? Yeah. Authoritative is always going to have maybe some short-term wins, but some long-term <laughs> challenges. So, you know, we, tr we always would try, and this was the case in my time at, at IBM, it was the case in my time at, at Expedia, where I, I had a very similar mission. The top-down kind of thou shalt adopt this new way of working is, it's, it's, it's going to have its limitations. You know, our approach was always around active learning and getting people to have an experience with the practice and the methodology. And as soon as they do, boy, I mean, the, the whole, uh, they get it, you know, the, the light bulbs go on, they're like, aha, oh, I see how this works now. And I see how this can help my team uh, work better. The, that, that was always a more successful way of, of um, promoting the practice and promoting adoption. When you form a services group, 
what are some of the key success factors on making a group actually perform a value-added function that is perceived as value-added by the organization? Well, I mean, you know, by nature, a uh, centralized services organization is always going to have a target on its back, <laughs> you know, from, it's a cost center uh, in, in most cases. And that's a, that's a reality of it. And so, you know, keeping that, um, the scale of that program and team as lean as possible is always in the best interest. You, you do not want to have, you do not want to call attention to yourselves as, as a, uh, an internal centralized services organization or team. Um, you also need, so, so that's a, that, that's a, there's a dilemma there. Like you've got a big mission, presumably you've got an enterprise wide mission. You're trying to, to make big change in a, in a complex company and you've got a really lean team. Uh, how, how do you, how do you do that? How do you achieve scale? And one, one of the, one of the things that we found, uh, one of the big insights, uh, in our journey at, at IBM was, uh, was that we, we needed to find those, we called them magic people, uh, out in the, uh, out in the business, those, those people who had a kind of, a uh, almost a, a religious experience with the, the the practice that we were advocating and we were we were training them in uh, this design thinking approach, um, and they were like, "Oh my God, this is this is all I want to do. This, I, I just want to be doing design thinking. I want to. That's that's you know, I, I, I'm I'm all in." And what we realized was we had we had in those magic people the 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 ticket to scale right if we could identify them if we could activate them if we could connect them to each other if we could give them a little bit of extra resources a little bit of extra training and the permission to go out and be our our agents across the enterprise then we could exponentially increase the impact that we were having as a small centralized team. And that was over the, over the course of the, that journey and getting to 200,000, you know, activated design thinkers across the company, that was an important moment of adding a zero to the, to the number of people that we were able to, to touch, you know, literally exponentially increasing our impact. That's interesting because you also talked about certification. So there's this, there's essentially a certification process and then deputizing evangelists mm -hmm. to carry, to carry the pattern, yeah. uh, the, not, not just the pattern, but the passion for the pattern. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds to me like that's, there's a difference there. <laughs> Is that fair? Uh, a, a different, yeah, a difference, but the, you know, in the certified certification sort of tiers, uh, that that highest level of, of mastery of the practice was essentially built on these magic people. It was that we ended up calling them coaches, design thinking coaches, but they they um, the the persona was originally based on you know these folks who were just like 
touched by, you know, touched by design thinking. Interesting. And, and so there's an efficiency that enables a scale of, uh, of a change management methodology uh, through, uh, through sort of leveraging the budgets of others by instead of having all of those agents be on your payroll, yeah, they're they're on the payroll yeah. of the rest of the organization, right? And and there's a there's the, so that that reveals another important conversation that's needed to the upline management of these magic people, these evangelists. Hey, you now you've got a very important person in your organization who's doing some important work. Uh, for this bigger mission, you need to account for them. You need to give them, you need to allow them and, and not only allow them, but, but, you know, this needs to be part of their, their role, their, they need to be accountable for it, their performance, you know, um, review and, and, and accountability and so on. Um, they they need to be incentivized to, play this role so that was a, that was a, you know a deeper conversation that ended up happening with their upline executives mm. oh gosh beautiful there's um, incentives if you're talking about the the deeper sort of mechanics of change management you know that that magic person they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna feel awesome about doing design thinking for about I don't know, two or three weeks, unless, unless, you know, they're, they're, they, they get the, the, you know, unless they're incentivized to, to do that in a more sustainable way. Yeah. So there, so, so there's an implied sea level mandate that is at some level needed because the upline executives will not sponsor those, you right. know, the time I'm not going to give 20% right. of my people's time to this thing. Yeah. Unless, exactly. unless there's a, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about how that the sponsorship dynamics work and, and what level of seniority is needed to be involved and, and how that yeah. relationship works with, with you as the, the leader of that cross-functional group? Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll return to the, the IBM experience. And this, this was a program that, that was launched in, in 2012, late 2012. I joined the company in 2013, just as, as we were forming the, uh, the, the original kind of nucleus of a, of a leadership team uh, there. Um, this was a, 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 a user experience design program uh, that we were that we were building it was kind of a new idea for for IBM at that time um, they they had I don't know a hundred or so UX designers uh, um, scattered around the company kind of uh, loosely connected uh, to each other um, not really practicing any common uh, way of way of doing design, um, not uh, really not you know no uh, no workspaces that were really appropriate for them to to do their to do their work, and um, you know the company was was about to fall way behind in in uh, what was what was about to become a pretty um, you know a a, a pretty forceful. Um, user experience uh, movement across all kinds of enterprises. And 
to her credit, the, the CEO at the time, Ginny Rometty, who uh, w- was just in, I think she, she took that role in 2011. So she was probably in her first year, year and a half in that role. You know, she recognized this, uh, this condition and she, uh, she was the, the absolute like epitome of what you're describing, that CEO who saw the need, who had the, the influence and had the um, authority to really make a, make a, bold, uh, a bold move. And she made a, a significant investment in this program. She also gave us air cover in, uh, in the first few years of building the program because we need to get we needed to get to scale to have any sort of impact in that in that size of a company. There were 400,000 people in that company when we launched the program. So you know we needed we needed to get to a, a significant scale before we could have any sort of impact that could be measured. Um, and Jenny understood that too. She understood that we were going to need some time to ramp up. And uh, you know you look around um, the, the corporate environment, uh, these days, and that doesn't exist very, uh, very commonly anymore. Uh, so she was, she was really, uh, visionary in that, in that sense. And, uh, without her, uh, clear and vocal advocacy for that program and without her air cover in those early years, we could never have, uh, you know, built that program to the level that we did. Ultimately, we, we added 3,000 practicing designers across the company. We added uh, over 30 executive design leaders to the company. We built 50 design studios, you know, custom built for uh, design, you know, design workspaces uh, around the world. Um, and we, uh, we rolled out this practice of design thinking uh, to the entire company. Impressive, impressive scale and numbers. That is a uh, a really massive amount of human mobilization, especially when we're talking about people from all walks of life, right? Because at that point, you're dealing with not one set of political pressures, but but many um, in many places, and and you're asking for time, energy, effort, and in some cases, budget. From many places, it sounds like. So it's coalition building, uh, which is it's kind of rare uh, to be able to to do that effectively and to have that air cover is is also rare. We we've seen a lot of organizations start to address systemic content issues from the perspective of a director or vice president within one of the functional groups. Uh, they recognize the bigger organizational issue, but they can't necessarily get the involvement from across the enterprise to really make the patterns be you know shared in a way that um that their peers can work with and so they kind of get lost do you have any advice for you know leaders who are interested in creating cross-functional organizations um but they you know they need to ladder up to get that sea level uh, or even just more senior support well, there was there was one uh, one thing that I would say that was that was I don't think we knew that we were this smart at the time, but <laughs> but in retrospect, as as we as we reflect on those early years of building that program at IBM, one of the things that we we did that was super smart was we started small. 
Um, the temptation when you're in a, in a big complex organization, and we were in the biggest and most complex, um, would be, you know, we need to do this big, we need to come out of the gates, like, at scale, you know, um, and, and we re resisted that temptation. And we actually started with seven projects in 2013 that were very highly, they were handpicked, uh, they were highly curated. We knew, you know, we had a high level of trust with the stakeholders of those, of those projects. We, you know, we didn't have a, a, a deep or broad network in that company, but we knew, we knew some people and we knew some people who were early believers in what we were trying to do. And we went to them and we said, hey, can we work together? And we, we rallied, like I said, seven, seven projects. Um, you know, you would think, well, company the size of IBM, you must be, you must have been doing, you know, a hundred, a thousand projects, uh, you know, and we didn't, we, we did those first seven projects in the first six months and not all of them were a success, but, you know, four, maybe five of them were, were pretty, pretty solid, solidly impressive projects. And we used those successes to tell the story, to tell, you know, as demonstration cases for the power of what we were and the value of what we were trying to do company-wide. And we went around and we told anyone who would listen about those, those four or five projects. And pretty soon, you know, the line started to grow for, hey, well, I want to, you know, my, I want to get my my org, my, my part of the, my line of business, my uh, department, I want to get us in on this, this, uh, this design thing that you all are doing this, this human centered design thing. This sounds great. I love the stories. And, you know, it, 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 it went uh, pretty quickly from a, you know, uh, from a stick to a carrot, I guess is how you would say it. And uh, there was some wisdom. Again, I don't think we knew it fully at the time how 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 much wisdom there was, but there was some wisdom in in uh, re resisting the temptation to go big too early, and to keep mm. it really tight, and to keep it really concise uh, and manageable. And what was that pitch like? What was the short version of the the pitch into the business that they were latching onto? Um, it, it it was that uh, approaching this uh, this work. I mean, this was this was 20, 20, early twenty thirteen. So think think about you know what was in the air then. Um, this was five six years after the launch of iPhone, uh, which you know was still very front of mind. Not that it's not front of mind now, but but that is a case study for the power of a human-centered approach, a user-centered approach uh, to driving business value was still very, very front of mind. So, I mean, essentially the, the, the elevator pitch was, hey, we wanna bring, um, you know, a, an Apple way of working to the, the enterprise of IBM. We want to bring a human-centered focus to your business in which primarily was a business-to-business -business environment, uh, you know, making, um, making digital products and apps for 
uh, you know, the B2B and enterprise environment, really dense stuff, really technical stuff. But our pitch was, hey, an awesome user experience is going to, uh, is going to transform your product and it's going to transform your business. And we can help you get there because we've got designers, we've got talent, we've got a way of working, we've got a practice. And if, if, if you, you know, if you partner with us on this project, we're going to do something awesome together. What I like about it is it's not, Hey, we've, we've got a new way to do design necessarily as much as, Hey, we want to build this new human centered approach and therefore, uh, our design methodology will help facilitate that. But there's this, there's sort of a business outcome. I think in content, we, we end up basically trying to sell the organization on understanding the value of content. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think we're losing out on the, the bigger picture of what the content facilitates, right? And so I'm hearing the message is more about, you know, this, this next generation of customer experience yep. that, you know, was represented by the, the shift uh, towards, you know, mobility and, you know, highly you know, simplified consumer interfaces that Apple represented. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this was, again, uh, you know, to, to talk about that, that time frame. I mean, we were right, I think in 2015, there was a, a tipping point, demographic tipping point where the uh, millennial generation became the dominant generation in the, in the demographic, you know, uh, gen- generation in the workforce. So we were a couple of years away and we, we knew we obviously could see that coming. And that became another compelling aspect of that conversation. Like, hey, you're, you know, you may think that the customer that 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 you should be caring about is some, you know, uh, is some fifty-year-old white guy, you know, working on a, a server farm um, in whatever Utah, but that that's actually not the case. <laughs> you know, you've got. You know, just the reality is you've got a very diverse, very young uh, customer base uh, and user base that is emerging that that has grown other digital natives. They've grown up with this technology. They have zero tolerance for a crappy user experience, whether it's in the, the, the apps that they use for their personal life or, or their work life, there's no line between the two anymore. And, you know, that, that became a pretty compelling conversation uh, to engage those business leaders who were then like, oh man, you're right. Like we, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta update my <laughs> files here. I gotta update my thinking about this because, you know, you're, you know, you're onto something. So it, it was a, there was a really uh, fascinating sort of thread uh, to these conversations as we, as we got business leaders sort of engaged in what we were trying to do. Wow. It's inspiring because that's, yeah, that's, that's a missing piece for, for, for content leaders today, even though the epoch shifting realities, you know, are, are similarly dramatic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, chat PPT uh, and other yeah. generative 
AI approaches are just transforming the content landscape and and there's a you know a shift in the way that channels are, are you know consuming content so on the production and the consumption side there's there's this massive shifts and um, and content teams need to catch up so it's, it's it's really something we're interested in in facilitating are these kind of cross-functional organizations we call it content services organization that helps to facilitate new ways of dealing with content um, but it always kind of comes into the same question of how to motivate it and how to and how to explain the story. Part of that is the ROI numbers that um, you know that that are always being kind of asked for. I'm curious about you know, in, in addition to the the soft factor, you know, um, market shifting kinds of messages. What what are the hard numbers uh, that were driving the investment? Yeah, over time, well, again, I talked a moment ago about the air cover that Ginny Rometty, our CEO, was, was providing for us. That air cover didn't last, you know, for long, right? The air cover was an important few years there, but then the, then the air cover was, uh, got, got thinner and thinner. And so we needed to start showing up with with more, uh, you know, quantifiable uh, numbers. We we were tracking um, several several different metrics that were important. One was velocity, how fast could could teams move, um, and that that was a always a compelling one because there's not a, a business leader on on the face of the planet who doesn't want their teams to move faster and deliver faster. So that was something we were tracking and, and we found that the highest performing, uh, if, if certain conditions were in place, if a, if, if a, if a cross-functional organization was properly staffed with, with design talent, so we were tracking like the ratios of designers to other, other disciplines like engineers and, and product people. Um, so if, that, if that, that's, that staffing number was, was correct and then we had the right sort of basic um, training of uh, what we in in, uh, in the IBM uh, program uh, we were calling design thinking or enterprise design thinking. If we had the right um, sort of basic understanding of that practice, and then we had the executive support from those business leaders, if we had those three things in place, then we could we could say pretty confidently, these teams are going to move faster. And we could measure that. I mean, you can measure that. That's a that's a quantifiable uh, thing if you're paying attention to it. So velocity became uh, became uh, an important one. Um, you know, we're, uh, risk mit mitigation uh, or tracking how many times you have to go back and fix something because you got it wrong. Uh, we found that that risk mitigation uh, was was another uh, a another measurable thing that that we could be tracking, but it was very favorable for the teams that were high performing design thinking teams. Why? Because they understood their customer and their user as people better than those teams who were not practicing design thinking. Um, when you understand your customer as a human being their behaviors, their pain points, their, uh, their hopes, their fears. When you understand all of that about your customer, you are going to do a better job of hitting, 
hitting the bullseye for them, creating an experience and a product for them that solves their problem. And so we found that, you know, we could, we could track, Hey, we're not, we're not going back. We're not having to go back and, and, uh, and, and fix this stuff as, as often as we, as we used to. Interesting, uh, sort of surprising, um, factor that I wasn't expecting, uh, to be, um, as, as uh, prominent as it was, was employee engagement. We found that these teams that were practicing in a more human-centered way, were working cross-functionally in a human, more human-centered way, were that the employees, the individual team members, were happier at work. They were more engaged. They, uh, they, they, enjoyed, they enjoyed working that way. <laughs> kind of sounds, sounds like uh, kind of, I don't know, kind of obvious, but it's, it's an important one. And companies are very, uh, are very concerned, as you know, about uh, employee engagement and they want their, their workforce to be uh, happy and motivated and healthy and inspired. And these teams were that. Uh, and, and so we were, we were tracking that as well. So those are, those are just a few, a few aspects that were uh, kind of impressive about, uh, about the program as we built it and measured it. Oh, that's helpful. It's it's interesting. A, a lot of it is is based on capabilities and not cost as much. Um, there's there's a cost advantage to moving fast, but the emphasis is on speed, not on cost savings. Yeah, it's not not. I mean, it's, it's, you could you could do the you know sort of analytical gymnastics to to convert uh, velocity into cost savings. Yes, but. But explicitly, um, you know, it, 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 that that was not the pitch. It was more about how the teams were working, than you know, and, and then you know, any any smart business leader is going to be able to kind of take that and say, oh, okay, all right, x y x plus y equals z here. <laughs> they'll do the they'll do the algebra on it. Yeah. Well, and and by by getting people working better together and 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 creating ways that you know known ways to to accomplish uh, user experience design uh, collaboration, it sounds like there's just all these soft factor important um, outcomes that make everything better. Like people are happier and more engaged. They know what to do. It, more gets done and completed and less less waste and rework and yep. and be better business outcomes so those are all those are all things i think when you're when you're in the orchestration business or you're in the facilitation business it's it, it's it's all these gestalt effects that you're facilitating that you know sometimes are hard to to hammer down but they're but they're enormous sure yeah um uh, I'm, I'm curious you know that the role of of design systems. I know that you were involved at IBM with a very famous uh, design system program there that that has uh, become a model for uh, for really the whole design system industry. Right over over years, uh, you know, this last um, decade has been uh, increasing amounts of of uh, investment and careers focused around design systems. Could you speak? you know, just high level about the role of design systems in, in facilitating design outcomes? 
absolutely. Uh, the, this is the carbon design system uh, at IBM, which has been evolving over uh, over a number of years. Uh, it was originally the IBM design language, uh, then it kind of uh, in its first first edition many years ago, and then it, it uh, kind of took on the uh, the, the carbon uh, brand and moniker and and sort of identity and and. Um, interesting, interesting project. I mean, uh, you know, this is this is sort of the tactical way of 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 getting those cross-functional teams to work, uh, you know, in a more consistent way. This is uh, getting giving them the 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 components the uh, to 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 actually do their work, um, so that different teams are not inventing you know the login screen you know 63 different times uh, you know for basically the same the same thing I mean we've got a standard uh, a standard approach for that and, uh, and rather than having to to reinvent it the the teams can pull it off the shelf and, and basically plug it into their uh, into their flow and uh, it is also uh, an open source um, project so uh you know teams and individual developers and designers are not only drawing from carbon but they're contributing to it uh and that that was uh, you know an important uh, idea around how carbon was going to go out in, in the world now uh, there's you know, there's some obvious advantages to that. You get, you know, you, you, it becomes a very inclusive system that uh, you have the opportunity to to just accumulate, uh, you know, just so much more um, componentry and and uh, in, in in doing it that way. But the downside is you also have to manage it, <laughs> and you know, you have to you have to make sure that your uh, that the quality levels of of uh, those uh, the those um, uploaded uh, components uh, are you know at the you know meet meet the bar of the of the of the system. At any rate, um, the uh, you know we just we just saw some super impressive numbers and and how. That design system was uh, leading to, uh, you know, just uh, super super efficient uh, team operations, specifically around, um, you know, cutting developer time uh, by, yeah, I mean, exponential numbers. I, I mean, just, uh, just, just really really impressive, you know, cutting tens of thousands of developer hours over the course of a of the course of a year of measuring it. Uh, simply by not having uh, designers and developers having to to redo common components, uh, it's as simple as that. Now, Carbon also happens to be just a beautifully elegant uh, um, system. That's just um, you know, it's it's uh, it's rare in that in that way. Um, aesthetically, it's it's gorgeous. It's got beautiful interactions and. Um, and it's a it's a super impressive uh, design system, um, but the the for the for the business you know your average business leader at, at IBM what they what they care about is uh, is efficiency velocity streamlining that delivery process so that uh, their teams can move faster and you know we were absolutely able to uh, 
to achieve that uh, with with carbon and and continue to uh, at IBM. I'm no longer there, but uh, but that that system, as you said, you know, one of the top design systems in the industry. Yeah, and it sounds like that by itself would pay for the entire underlying effort, and then all of the value-added advantages to the improving of the actual customer experience, which improves the business value overall, sort of at the level of shareholder value, even. Yeah, um, for sure. It, for sure. It's, it's really, it's really significant. So, you know, I, I, I'm kind of amazed that more of these kinds of uh, unification, rationalization, coordination, orchestration initiatives are not in place. And I think one of the reasons we've seen at, at enterprises they're not is because of the the tendency for line of businesses to really want to control their own worlds mm -hmm. and and kind of do things in their own way, have their own system and not have any centralized enterprise level function kind of get in their way. Yeah. And so we've seen centralization efforts, you know, become overly governance oriented and therefore uh, become perceived as essentially the stopping block to velocity and efficiency and employee engagement, right? Yeah. As yeah. opposed to the facilitator of those things. Right. And, uh, you know, and so it's very easy to, to see those programs get, you know, put on the chopping block when they're culturally rejected like that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of giving you the, uh, the thumbnail view of, of these, these programs and not, which uh, there were absolutely, you know, bumps in the road along the way. And, and there were certainly pockets of, of non-believers out there and non, uh, you know, non-adopters and, um, and, and resistance to, um, you know, everyone thinks they're, 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 what they're working on is unique. And when you're trying to roll out a, a design system or any sort of common way, common sort of programmatic, systematic way of working, uh, you know, everyone's going to say, well, you know what, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I like it, but, uh, you know, I, I, we've got something special here. I've got this, this really unique uh, use case, and I don't think it's going to work for them. That, you know, so you got to work with, you, you got to have those conversations and you've got to engage with those, those uh, folks and you've got to turn, turn them from skeptics uh, into believers, into advocates, into adopters. And, um, and that, you know, that's, that's part of the job when you're running, a, you know, an, an internal sort of center of excellence program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you used a word that is really striking me um, when referencing design systems as open source. Mm -hmm. um, and the concept of open source, I think, has a lot of lessons for us, uh, you know, in the, in the content industry. It's, it, it's a, a concept that means, you know, that there is many contributors against one common code base. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of threads around all of those contributions, but ultimately there's sort of one shippable product. And so if that product is, for example, 
a content model or a, uh, a set of shared terminology or uh, or a design a set of components you know that there's multiple contributors into that environment um, it, and that all has to work in a way that everybody can submit their contribution but it doesn't it doesn't end up creating a a log jam or, or break the enterprise as a whole. I know the data folks uh, work with this as well when they're, you know, if you ship the wrong code in, into, uh, uh, you know, shared data repositories, you can break hundreds and hundreds of business critical systems. And so there's a real stringent uh, yeah. controls about what gets adopted enterprise-wide for data handling. So I'm curious about your, your reflections on, you know, the sort of right relationship uh, between pitching and catching or, or, mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, with, within these kind of environments. Well, it gets back to, uh, to the original you know, question about the importance of, you know, that centralized kind of pro program team, uh, that is managing in this case, the, the, the integrity of the design system, but also the the design thinking practice, the, the studios network, the career framework, you know, all of these different aspects of, of, uh, of what a, a centralized program team might be, might be doing. That's why you need, that's why you need that. You know, it's, it's, uh, um, with, without it, it's kind of the wild west, you know, you, you, you just really lose pretty quickly lose the um, lose the shape of of the work and the consistency of the work across across a complex organization it's just and it's not it's not because you know it's not to fault anyone it's just sort of human nature that you know different teams given their own devices and given given the lack of any sort of governance and and uh, and, and infrastructure they're going to do their own thing. They're going to do what makes sense for them uh, to get to get to the finish line as quickly as as they can. That's just that's just how how they're going to work. Um, and uh, and so that hopefully small, lean, but um, but empowered, uh, centralized program team is is a vital vital function. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it, it it facilitates those nimble outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's a mindset shift for centralized organizations that have a governance mandate as well. Uh, there's a there's a flip side to this, where, where in some organizations there, it, especially highly regulated industry service organizations, there's there's a governance and and compliance and risk management component, and so there's a a need to kind of also take a, a different service orientation as well, not just not just a heavy-handed heavy sort of centralized um, uh, governance approach. You know, can you turn those governance functions into something that helps to facilitate business outcomes at, uh, mm -hmm. and and still accomplishes the risk management objectives? It's it, it's really it's a human uh, challenge, and and uh, you've you've done a great job of of getting a lot of humans to work in an aligned way things you talked about earlier was, was finding these magic people that were essentially evangelists that you could bring on board to the methodology, who get certified, who really, really take to it and, and bring it into their, their works. 
and become kind of agents of that larger um, that that larger or, organizational function, um, even though they're living and reporting inside of of other uh, teams. What kinds of of skills or characteristics do you look for in those in those magic people, and 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 how do you how do you find them? Well, they kind of found us. I mean, uh, you know, the, again, the the uh, the dilemma that that my team had was to to get ourselves from a scale of impact from touching basically thousands of uh, of people a- across the company to tens of thousands of people across the company. We need to add a zero to our our impact and we had a very lean small team and we just simply could not do that um, our, ourselves and so by finding these uh, these folks who you know whenever we did a workshop or a training session um, you know they would they would come to us and say wow that was just that was so inspiring. I love this. I want to do more of this. How can I? How can I be a part of this? And so they would kind of, in most cases, they would kind of come to us and, and raise their hand and say, "I'm in. Let let me know. Let me know how I can help." Um, and so then it became a, a a matter of, all right, how do we um, how how do we uh, shape this role? Um, how do we connect them to each other to form a community? How do we give them some additional resources, some additional training? And then how do we give them the, the permission, really, to, uh, to go out there and play this role in an intentional way? And, uh, you know, as, as we were talking, that's an important part of that then becomes incentivizing the activities of that of that role uh, and making sure that it actually becomes a part of the accountability of the, the, the job that they have, not just the role that they're playing. One final kind of wrapping thought, because I feel like there's, there's uh, a lot here we could keep going down with, uh, with this huge topic. Uh, it's something that feels like the most important thing many organizations can tackle, and yet it's one of those uh, dynamics that gets lost inside of uh, individual business unit uh, needs or large market trends that people are running after and actually getting things working well together and people working well together, you know, in, in, in systemic level change. It's really something that serves the whole uh, far more than, than, than is sometimes given credit. So it, I think it's a it's a testament to the enterprise leaders that do sponsor these programs and, and those that do lead them, um, you know, for, for being uh, really truly stewards of, of enterprise value in a very chaotic uh, environment. What are some of the things they are gonna need to look out for? And what, what words to the wise do you have for, for folks who are leading design and content teams uh, in, this, in this decade ahead? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think I think one thing that that uh, that I'm becoming aware of, and it's interesting because we were just talking about the value of design systems. I also think that there's 
and and uh, and design systems and also sort of highly sort of operationalized ways for uh, for for teams to work. Um, there's also a risk there that when we when we over systematize that we that we lose the um, the ability for for true innovation. Um, that we get really good at incremental improvement, but we get really bad at that, that big idea out of the box, you know, kind of game changing uh, uh, innovation and, idea, and ideas finding their way into, into businesses. Uh, and the risk there is that we leave, leave ourselves, you know, just wide open for disruption. And, um, and that's, that's something that I think, you know, I think business, that's, a, that's sort of my, 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 uh, my caution, I guess, to, to businesses that are, uh, you know, overly sort of focused on efficiencies and, and streamlining um, that, hey, you know, there's also, there are also some real, real superpowers of, you know, that 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 can and should be a part of working in a human-centered way that will allow you to to change your business in major ways, and you've got to be open to that, um, or else you know you you run the risk of you know somebody else coming in and and uh, and then having that big idea that changes the changes the game for you, and then you're chasing. Yeah, stay ahead. Well, great. And is there any other words to the wise you have for for uh, for folks really early in career uh, getting into design in, in a world that AI uh, driven? Um, any thoughts about about their evolving roles? I I think uh, I I think AI uh, you know uh, careers and roles that are you know that that include a specialization and a deep knowledge of, of AI and, and machine learning are going to be the, 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 the hot roles of uh, the hot jobs of the next decade. And um, so getting smart about that, just, just adding that to your toolkit, adding that to your set of offerings in your portfolio, and even in you know incremental ways is going to make you exponentially more marketable in in the in the talent market um, just without question that's that's going to be a, uh, a a big I, I I predict that that and any any job in the next decade is going somebody uh, hiring is going to be interested in what you can what expertise you can bring in in, in that area and if your answer is I can't I, I don't know anything about it. Uh, then you're already putting yourself at the back of the line <laughs> for that role. So get you know get smart about it. Build your story around it, and and uh, make sure that it's part of what you can bring to a to a business. Really, it creates it creates for a a lively <laughs> a lively environment indeed. Uh, one that needs uh, human oriented design leadership uh, to bring it together and to make it. Uh, Make the humans working with these machines work work well uh, together and and work well with 
with the customers that that are also uh, learning along with us. So thanks for your design leadership um, pioneering. Really, I think you've created a, a legacy um, that uh, that's carrying forward in in many many uh, ways in the industry, and uh, and we've learned a lot from from your expertise and and insights today. Doug, thank you for for sharing your time. Thanks so much, Chris. It was a really enjoyable conversation. I appreciate the invitation. This episode of Towards a Smarter World is brought to you by A, the Content Intelligence Service. Learn more about intelligent customer experience powered by content strategy, engineering, and operations at simpleA.com. Yeah.